0: Good morning to you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And uh, what a verse. It grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Probably one of the greatest songs ever written by man. Today, uh, we're in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. We're in our third week of our new series in the book of Galatians. And do me a favor, as you get to Galatians chapter 1 verse 11, go ahead and put your finger there and go ahead and also and turn to Acts chapter 9 because that will be a parallel passage that we will be addressing uh, shortly. So as you're turning, uh, just two quick things. I usually don't like doing these kind of announcements. This coming Wednesday night, 7 o'clock p.m. here in this worship center, we'll be having our annual Thanksgiving Eve service. And as the worship pastor here of Parkwood Kings Mountain, I'm here to tell you that this is my favorite service of the year. It's the opportunity for you and me to proclaim Thanksgiving to God for all that he's done in our life each and every day. Uh, and then secondly, next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we will have a campus meeting uh, for our church. So if you are at Galatians chapter 1, go ahead and stand with me in uh, the reading of God's Word. Starting at verse 11. For I would have you now know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism... How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Let us pray. God, we stand in reverence of your word this morning, where we stand and and confirm and confess that your word is living, it's active, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's in there in all its teachings. God, we thank you that we have your word in our hands this morning, God, and I pray that that it will be proclaimed correctly, it will be proclaimed clearly. But, Father, more than anything, God, I pray that you would reveal your Son, Jesus Christ, to us this morning. God, I pray that life will be seen and through Jesus alone. God, I pray for those who do not know you, God, that you would reveal yourself to them this very morning. God, we thank you for what you're about to do. God, for what you're about to say. And I pray now, would you open our eyes to see Jesus a little more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may we seated. So uh, a background very quickly in Galatians chapter 1 uh, uh, must be understood so that we can rightly understand this passage that we are studying today. Paul is writing to particular Galatian churches that he had planted, that he had founded, and it says in the beginning that they had received the gospel recently. And here's the issue. False teachers had, begin, had begun coming into these new, newly founded churches, and they were professing a gospel that was a little bit shifted. So Paul did his work and they came behind his back and began proclaiming basically that the gospel is not only justification by Christ alone, but you also have to be circumcised in order to become in the covenant family of God. And they get that teaching from Genesis 17. These Judaizers believed the Old Testament. They knew every word of it. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but here's the issue. They were professing a gospel that was incorrect, that was not true. And in Galatians 1, through 6-10, Paul professed that anybody who proclaims a gospel that is not the true gospel is accursed by God. So, the Judaizers, in order to justify their, their teaching, they were also attacking Paul's actual Message and they were also attacking Paul's actual uh, authority in order to justify what they were saying. So in essence, the Judaizers were trying to say that Paul received this gospel message that he had proclaimed that was already been proclaimed through Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. This message was received from the apostles in Jerusalem, and then later on, Paul was basically just changing his message to, to make it his own. So in other words, the Judaizers are trying to say that Paul received his gospel from Jerusalem and he changed the gospel later. But here in the passage that we're going to study, Galatians 1, 11 through two ten, Paul is declaring that his gospel is independent from Jerusalem and was later confirmed by Jerusalem. So here's Paul's two major concerns as we begin studying this passage. Number one, That the content of his gospel is not altered in any way. And number two, to defend the authenticity of his apostleship and gospel. So here's a fair question that we have to ask at the beginning. How can we know that we can trust Paul? How can can we know that? And I think that's a fair question for those people who, who were Judaizers in the first century. I think that's a fair question in 2017 here at Parkland Kings Mountain this morning. How can we know that Paul's message is true? how can we know that the gospel he proclaims is accurate and how can we know that Paul's authority is genuine is true and i'm here to tell you that the passage we're about to read is going to answer that, those very questions so let's go back to galatians 1 verse 11 it says for i would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel for i did not receive it from any man nor was i taught it but i received it through a revelation of jesus christ so in your notes today, I have four ways that we can know Paul's gospel and apostolic authority is authentic. And number one is that Paul received the gospel through the revelation of Jesus Christ, not man. So if you notice verse 10, you go back and read that with me. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And notice the four in verse eleven. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. Verse eleven ties to verse ten, and here's the point of this text. Paul is not trying to please man, but God. If Paul were out to seek man's approval, he would have omitted such teachings as the Judaizers were trying to proclaim that he was. The Judaizers were trying to say that you have to be circumcised in addition to having faith in Christ. If Paul were out to be approved by man, he would have added that to his gospel. Here, Paul is proclaiming clearly that he did not receive it from any man. He received his gospel from God himself. Verse 12: For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul had an encounter with the living God of this universe. And Paul says that at that moment, he received this message of the gospel when he's seen Jesus face to face. So for just a little bit of context, go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 9. I just want to briefly just, let's read it. I just want to hear the context that Paul was declaring in which he received this gospel. Acts 9, starting at verse 1. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told that you are what what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him, Paul, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose to the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Paul, on the way of Damascus Grove, to actually go persecute other believers. Paul had an encounter with the living God of this universe. He saw Jesus face to face, and we see that after this encounter, he was completely wrecked. There was nothing the same about Paul. Quote, grace offends our natural sensibilities. Works righteousness is motivated by unbelief. We do not naturally trust grace. We want control. This supports the reality that Paul did not make up the gospel of grace. It came from God. At this encounter with God, Paul receives this gospel message. And how do we know it's from God? Because the gospel of grace makes no sense to humans. We want to work. We have to earn our way to receive said reward, correct? That's a human perspective. But in God's economy, God does the work for us. And that's good news this morning. And that proclaims that God gave this message to Paul. Second thing that we see in which that we can know that God, Paul's gospel and apostolic authority is authentic is that God transformed Paul's life. Start at verse 13 of Galatians 1. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God and violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now throughout scripture we see different attributes of who Paul was pre-conversion. And I just want to on your list on your on your notes and up here I just want you to see this we're not going to go through all these different passages it would take forever. I just want to encourage you to write them down if you'd like to go back and look at that in Scripture. So there's a few things that we see who Paul was pre-knowing Christ. Number one is that we see Paul was a Pharisee. Philippians 3.5 says this, Acts 5.34, Acts 22.3, Acts 26.5. Secondly, Paul was famous for his hatred of Christ in the church. Notice in verse 13, For you have heard of my former life, In Judaism, believers knew about Paul before he knew Christ. They knew he hated them. He hated Jesus. He hated the way. His very purpose of living was to get rid of them. People knew who Paul was, and they were scared of him. Third thing we see is that Paul persecuted Believers. We see that in verse 13 again. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And you can also see this in Acts 8.3, Acts 9.1-5, Acts six nine through 11 Philippians 3.6. Paul hated believers. His goal was to persecute and destroy them. Fourthly, we see that Paul was zealous of the traditions of his father's. Notice in verse 14, the word traditions here refers to Paul's life as a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This meant that he wasn't just following Old Testament traditions, but also other traditions that developed over time. So if we, in the, we had a study in Matthew for a couple years here, and one of the things that we've seen was that through time, these, these religious leaders began adding different things to, to the law of the Old Testament. That you have to do this, you have to do this a certain way. And Jesus even confronts them, saying, You're laying on this on these people too much for them to bear. You can't even bear it yourselves. Paul was zealous of not only everything the Old Testament was saying, he was also very zealous of what his forefathers were proclaiming through these religious leaders. You can compare this zeal that he had to Old Testament characters such as Phineas in Numbers 25, 11, and Elijah in 1 Kings. Paul was convinced he was right in what he was doing. Notice Acts 26, 9 through 11. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. And I only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest. But when they were out put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So, in essence, Paul, in the midst of persecuting believers, in the midst of, of hating Christianity, and in the midst of of all these different things of who he was, he honestly, with all his heart, believed that he was correct. He actually thought just as Phineas and Elijah that he was actually trying to get rid of this thing called Christianity, which he thought was actually opposition of God. He was completely. He thought he was completely right in what he was doing. He actually saw himself as a modern-day hero, such as Elijah or Phinehas. <clears throat> Notice Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul was passionate about what he believed. He absolutely, with all his heart, believed that what he was doing was correct. Now here's Paul's main point in 13 and 14. He's trying to show that there was nothing in his religious background, pre-conversion life that could have in any way prepared him for a positive response to the gospel. Paul was not looking for Jesus. That was the last thing on his mind. He was on the road to Damascus going to destroy more of the church. He had no desire to know Jesus. But the glorious verse 15 took place. Verse 15. But when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I just want to point to a couple truths in Paul's testimony here of what conversion really looks like. So at this point, Paul is saying, you can trust what I'm saying, Galatian church. Why? Because my message has been actually been given to me by God. God actually spoke to me, and this message that I heard from him is what I delivered to you. Now he's saying, okay, if that's not enough, Galatian church, look at my own testimony. Look who I was prior to Christ, and now look what Christ has done in my life. Look what he has done to save me and reconcile me to himself. Four things that we see about conversion in verses 15 and 16. Conversion involves God's intervention. So he he paints the picture of his depravity, of his rebellious sin against God. And praise be to God, he, God, intervenes in Paul's life, just like that on Damascus Road. This reminds us of that beautiful word right there in verse 16, verse 15. But when he who has set me apart, when God intervenes in the life of a sinner... Things change. Lives are saved. People are reconciled to the God of this universe. Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Romans 5, 8, 9. But God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of of God, Paul's testimony here, verses 15 and 16, is the exact same testimony for you and I who are believers in this sanctuary at this moment. We were rebellious sinners completely against God, no desire to know Him at all. But God, in His grace and mercy, sent His Son, born of His Son, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. God intervened in Paul's life, and he was completely wrecked by it. Number two that we see about conversion is that conversion involves God's eternal planning. Notice what Paul writes. But when he who set me apart before I was born. Now, we're not going to read these passages, but I, just would, I would encourage you to write these down to reflect on them later. You could compare Paul's testimony here to Jeremiah's testimony in Jeremiah 1.5, Isaiah's testimony in Isaiah 49.1, Luke's reference to John the Baptist in Luke 1, 12-17. And for you and I who are believers in Christ today, for all of us who are in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, 3-6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The fact is, brothers and sisters, that God has chosen us this day as people for himself, as part of his eternal, sovereign, and gracious plan. Though Paul, who became a terrorist against God's own people, God was patient to Paul, and God called him to himself. Which leads us right there to number three on the conversion. Conversion involves God's gracious calling. Verse 15 says, Paul, and who called me by his grace. So God called Paul effectively and powerfully, just as he calls us to himself. So I want to clarify, God's calling is not like our calling. So I just got recently married, have a beautiful wife who is the most self-sacrificing woman in this world, and we... We live at at the lake at my grandparents' lake house, and at this moment we do not have a truck. So when the trash is full, I got to put that nasty trash in my SUV and take it to the dump that's close by to our house. And and uh, let's just say that that junk is nasty. I don't like it. I hate it. And what we have learned recently is that if we don't take the trash and we put it outside, we we have realized that we have a new little friend, a little raccoon that likes opening the trash and. He tears it all up. (laughs) He eats everything. If tomorrow morning, in the freezing cold weather, if I ask my wife while she is sleeping, hey, could you go outside and before that raccoon gets in the food, could you take that trash real quick for me to the dump? There's two things that's going to take place. Either she's going to do it or she's going to laugh in my face, which is probably the probable answer. She's going to laugh in my face and say, absolutely not. Why? My calling is not effective. You don't have to do it. I can ask Megan anything. You can ask your spouse. You can ask your kids to do something. But that don't mean they're going to do it immediately, right? But let me let me point you to God's calling. God at the very beginning spoke from nothing and something existed. God said, let there be light, and light became. Think about God's calling. When God says something, it happens. It's the exact same thing with us. When he sent his son to die on the cross for us, when the Holy Spirit comes and fills us and dwells in us, when God calls us to himself, when God calls people to salvation, it happens immediately and it doesn't waver. If you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ this morning, God will not let you go. Because, wow, God has called you righteous in his sight. Number four of the conversion is that conversion involves seeing the glory of Christ. Verse 16, Paul writes, Was pleased to reveal his son to me. So when God revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus road, Paul realized and became aware of Jesus Christ crucified Risen and reigning, Second Corinthians four six. For God, who said, "Let light shine out of darkness," has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God opens the eyes of the blind. We just literally saying that right before I stood up. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now. I see, when you have an encounter with the God of this universe, when you recognize the glory and majesty of Jesus, he opens your eyes and things change. He saves you. He calls you to himself. You are his precious child then. Here's the reality. All of us are blind before Christ, and we are in need of help. And praise be to God, he is the one who comes and opens our eyes. Eyes. Jesus is our hope. He is our salvation. So, we know Paul is authentic in his gospel and in his apostolic authority because he has, his message has been given to him by God. Secondly, that God is the one who actually transformed him, has changed him. And number three, Paul proclaimed the gospel to the nations for the glory of God. Starting at verse 16. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. When God saved him on the Damascus Road, Paul immediately realized that his purpose of his salvation was not just for himself, it wasn't just a get out of hell free card. God called him to himself. Why? So go back to verse 16. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. He realized that the God of this universe had called and saved him to make much of Christ Jesus in this world. Go to Acts 9 verse 10 with me. We'll start at verse 15. So after... Paul is converted at, on the Damascus road. Um, he couldn't see he was blind. so they take him to a house uh, for, for, I think, three days, actually. And in the midst of this, God tells him to pray, and he, he gives Paul a revelation that somebody's going to come and pray over him, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to fill him, and he's going to go and proclaim the gospel. And so Paul tells the guy who's going to go speak to Paul, uh, he says, Hey, A guy named Saul is waiting for you, and uh, he knows you're coming. And just go and proclaim the gospel to him. And I love his response. He's like, are you kidding me? That dude is out to persecute us, the person who's going to have to kill us. Do I have to really go and declare this gospel? And this is God's response to that man in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God saved him. He sent his son to die for Paul. Why? Because he was commissioned by God to declare the gospel. And just like Paul today, me and you are commissioned people. We're called to declare the gospel. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of my favorite quotes in a book, I don't usually read many books, my favorite quote in any book is this quote This up on the screen. As unusual as it may sound, God's ultimate purpose is not that we be saved, but that he be glorified. Redemption is not all about us, it's all about God. We are saved so that we can know and proclaim God's glory. Today, you've been saved to proclaim the gospel to your friends and to the nations. So 15 to 16 is is Paul's conversion experience. 17 is a continuation of what's already been proclaimed in 16. So it says that... he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So the question is, what happened in Arabia and Damascus? And I'm just going to encourage you to write this down. Acts 9, 19b through 20. Simply put, Paul proclaimed the gospel. He immediately you notice what he says there. He did not go to speak to any apostle. Again, point to the fact that his gospel is separate from the apostles. It didn't come from them. It came from God. But it immediately began proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who was Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So verses 18 through 20 and 22 repeats what Paul emphasizes in verses 10 and 11, that his message was not from Jerusalem. It was independent of the other apostles. And notice, how do we know that? It was three years after his conversion before he even goes up to speak to any of the apostles. And when he is there, he only stays with them 15 days with just two of the apostles. We see this in verse 22. It says that at that point, no one in the area of Palestine, the area of Jerusalem, knew him by faith, just by his gospel work. Here's the key point. Now, I want you to hit, get this. The key point is that Paul immediately began evangelizing after his conversion. He waited three years before going up to Jerusalem. And when he arrived there, he only stayed there for a short time time. Paul's gospel is independent of the gospels of the apostles, and his mission is clear. Declare the gospel everywhere I go. And I love it. 23-24 is the response of hearing Paul's work to the nations. It says, they, they, who's they? The people, churches of Judea, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us. is now preaching the faith. He wants Try to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Why did they glorify God? Again, like I said, but beginning earlier, Paul was known for what? Persecuting them. They hadn't seen him by face at that time. They just knew what he had been doing to believers. And all of a sudden, they're saying, That guy who used to try to kill us and persecute us, you mean he's actually the one who's proclaiming the gospel? Praise God. They realized that God was the only one who could make a blasphemer of the name of Jesus into an evangelist for the gospel's sake. Finally, number four. How do we know that Paul's gospel and apostolic authority is authentic? First, see again that his message was from God, or a revelation of Christ, and he received his message from that revelation. Secondly, we saw that God transformed his life. At, on the Damascus road. Thirdly, we've seen that Paul proclaimed the gospel to the nations immediately. And fourthly, God's calling God, Paul's calling and gospel is affirmed by the apostles. Go with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is going to be brief. This is going to be concise. I'm going to encourage you to go back and read that chapter. I just want to highlight a couple main points that we see throughout this, this meeting in Jerusalem with the Apostles. Verse one, we see the word then. So in reality, there's been 11 years between chapter one, chapter one, verse 24, and chapter two, verse one. It's been 11 years. So 14 years after Paul's conversion, he'd only been up to Jerusalem twice. Again, I'm going to keep saying it over and over. This passage, again, emphasizes the fact that Paul's message is independent of the apostles. So what are the outcomes of this meeting? Again, I have four outcomes. Verses 3 through 5 points to the fact that legalism was rejected. Go back with me to uh, verse 2. I went it because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, listen, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So Paul goes to Jerusalem. He declares the gospel, and I want to make this clear. He did not share his message to the apostles, so if if they said, well, that's not right, he's going to quit preaching it. Listen, he knew that his message was from God. It didn't matter what they thought. But the reason he he presented it to them is just to make sure that they were on the same page. Why? Because if if the apostles in Jerusalem did not agree with Paul's message, what's going to happen? They're going to go back to all these different churches, all this work that Paul had been doing for all these years already, and they're going to absolutely cut him at his knees. No, that message he's preaching is not correct. So it is essential then that they were unified in their message of the gospel. But notice... Even in the midst of false believers coming in and saying that that a, a, a Gentile had to be circumcised, listen what happened. They completely said no. We did not yield in submission even for a moment. So the central verse of this section of this verse is verse five. Paul refused to cave in to human ambition, but stood for the true gospel message for the sake of the Gentile, which also, by the way, includes you and I. The second thing we learned from this meeting was that nothing was added to the gospel. Verse 6, after hearing Paul's message that he had been preaching to the Gentiles, the the apostles believed it was the gospel. They they affirmed that it was the gospel. They did not change one thing. Third thing we see, verses 7 through 9, Paul was recognized as having been entrusted with the gospel resulting in the right hand of fellowship. So, so the apostles firm uh, uh, Paul's message uh, that they, he was preaching. But they also recognized that the very message that he was preaching was the exact same message that Peter was preaching already to the Jews. So, so Peter and Paul, two separate people, unified in what? The gospel. They, they proclaimed the same gospel but to two totally different contexts. They had two different strategies, so to speak. but It was the same gospel. And notice... What happens? <clears throat> In verse 8, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Nine. And when James and Hephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So, so the core issue in this passage, was not that Paul was recognized as an apostle, but that Paul was recognized as one who proclaimed the true gospel message. And in verse 9, the pillars of the church, those who were held in high esteem at that time, actually affirmed not only Paul's gospel, but who Paul was as an apostle. In other words, they actually proclaim Paul and Barnabas as co-laborers of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Fourthly, and this is brief, verse 10, the only thing that they request of Paul was that he would remember the poor. And how does that apply to us today? I just want to get right to it. How does that apply to us today? As part of the body of Christ, we have the responsibility to one another. But I'm gonna go a little bit further. Not only do you love your brothers and sisters in the faith, you also love those who are outside in the world who are in desperate need. So as the gospel goes to the nations, we also go as hands and feet of Christ Jesus into this world to love those who are in need. So what? You're saying, Micah, there was twelve different points and they're all jumbled up. How does all of this apply to you and Me today. I want to clarify that again, there's four things we've seen. Paul, how we know Paul was genuine, true, his message was true. God gave him his message, God transformed him. Paul proclaimed the gospel to the nations immediately. And finally, if that wasn't enough, Galatian church, Parkwood, King's Mountain, the actual apostles, the main leaders of the church in the first century, affirmed Paul's calling and gospel as well. So what, for you and I today, one point, all who believe the one true gospel have been entrusted to proclaim the gospel wherever they are and to take the gospel to those who have never heard. Go to 2 Corinthians 5 with me very quickly. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. We are ambassadors of Christ. God is making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God for our sake. He made Him to be a sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So church, first believe in the one true gospel. Today, if you do not know Christ Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your God, I appeal to you, repent and believe. God sent his beloved son to this earth. He died a death that we absolutely deserved. He died a wrath-absorbing, sin-atoning death on the cross. And through his atoning work alone is how we become right with God. When God now looks to us through Christ Jesus, he doesn't see sinful rags. He sees a precious child of God. Repent and believe this day in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, believer, proclaim the one true gospel. Just as Paul was saved not just for himself, but was saved to proclaim the gospel, so you are saved to proclaim the gospel. We have the greatest news in the world. How in the heck can we stay quiet? For the sake of your friends, of your children, of your families. For the sake of the billions still in reach, may that be so that we are faithful ambassadors of Christ in this world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I am um, just overwhelmed by who you are today, by your grace towards us. God, I pray if anything today as we read Paul's testimony, God, I pray that we would just be encouraged, God, that we would just reflect on what Christ has done for us. <laughs> while we were still sinners, while we were still rebellious sinners flowing away from God, you, in your grace and mercy, sent your Son and died at atoning, atoning work on the cross on our behalf. And now, through Jesus, we have been given his righteousness. Would I pray for those who do not know you today, God, that you would reconcile them to yourself? God, would you reveal Jesus to them? Would you reveal the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the reigning of Jesus? But I pray for the believer? God, may we not be quiet. You have gave us the greatest news in the world. And Lord, I pray simply that we will be faithful, passionate, zealous to proclaim the goodness and mercy and the greatest news that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners to this world. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we glorify you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us?